Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Good morning, everyone. Today is Good Friday, and it's a very significant day in the Christian calendar. As we remember the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, and it's a bit of a strange day, isn't it? It's strange because it's called good, and yet as the video showed, the subject matter and the reality of Jesus' crucifixion was anything but good. It's awful. It's painful. It's sad. It stirs a sense of injustice and maybe a righteous anger in many of us as Jesus' followers that such an excruciating and torturous death was sentenced upon an innocent man. There's nothing good about what physically happened to Jesus leading up to and during his death on the cross. And as the video so powerfully demonstrated, there is sadness, but there is both sadness and celebration on this day. I wonder if you can ever remember watching a movie for the second time. And you know from the first time you watched it that there's some difficult circumstances for the main character. There's some trial and there's some tragedy. And even though you know there's a happy ending at the end of the movie, you still get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Good Friday is a little bit like that. It's Friday and Sunday is coming where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But in this moment, as we reflect upon his death, even knowing there's a good ending, we can't help but have a sense of sadness for what Christ endured on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. Regardless of all of that, the ultimate truth is that today is still Good Friday because we do know the end of the story and what it means for us. It may appear a bit strange this morning that our reading from John chapter 1 is something that's more commonly used at Christmas time rather than Easter. But I think it's just as powerful and relevant at Easter time because for Jesus to die for our sins, he first needed to come. This is one of the most extraordinary truths of Christianity, that the Almighty God, 
who created the universe, came down to us. And we're going to touch on that this morning. This is how John commences his gospel. And there are three brief points I want to make this Easter from John chapter 1. And the first one is absolutely critical for us to understand. And it is simply this, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In the first verse of John's gospel, it says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that has nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John starts his gospel by asserting undeniably that Jesus is in fact the eternal Son of God. The divine word through whom all things were made became the human Jesus. And in Jesus we have someone who is both fully God and also fully man. A lot of people receive Jesus as a good teacher, but not as the divine word. They can't and won't accept that Jesus is God in human form. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian and the writer of the Narnia series, said the following in 1942. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the same level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit, him, spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Christian faith hinges on Jesus being God in human form. And this morning, you might think to yourself, well, why does that really matter? Couldn't Jesus just be an amazing person that we admire and respect? Well, of course he can be that. But if his life is to have an eternal impact on us, he needs to be so much more than that. Good Friday in no way whatsoever could ever be referred to as good if Jesus was fully human but not fully God. It would simply be the tragic death of a kind but deluded man and we certainly wouldn't be in this room remembering him 2,000 years later. And so it's absolutely significant that Jesus is God because only someone who was truly righteous could ever be a sacrifice for our sins. And this is why John starts his gospel with this incredible claim that Jesus is God. This is the filter through which he wants you to read the entirety of the rest of his gospel. Jesus did come and live a human life amongst us for over three decades, but he didn't possess a sin nature as we do. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he was tempted, but he never sinned. Now there's nobody in this room there's nobody on the face of the earth right throughout history who could ever make that same claim. We barely get through a day, even an hour, without doing or thinking or saying something that hurts others or is opposed to God's truth. 
Romans tells us very clearly that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin or the consequences of our sin is death because a holy God cannot tolerate sin. The Bible also teaches us that each of us inherits sin at birth. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, sin entered the world through humanity, through the first man and woman, through Adam and Eve. And Adam's sinful nature has been passed on or transferred to every person born into the world ever since, except for Jesus. We know from the Christmas story that Jesus' birth was a supernatural act of God, that he didn't have a human father. He was born of a virgin, therefore he did not inherit a sin nature. He possessed the divine nature from his heavenly father. He was God in human form. He was perfect in every way. And he was completely without sin. This is absolutely significant because if Jesus was only a man, as some people claim, then he would have sinned like the rest of us. And like the rest of us, he also would have fallen short. And if that was the case, he could never pay the price for our sins because he'd have to pay the price for his own sin. To die as our substitute in our place, Jesus had to meet all the requirements of a holy God in order to be an acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, when we trust in what he's done for us through the cross, and we accept him as Lord and Saviour, our sin is transferred from us and it's placed on him at the cross. All of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, all of our shortcomings were placed on Jesus and he took the penalty that we deserve to pay. He died in our place. But not only that. You see, our unrighteousness was placed on him, but there's a divine exchange that happens by faith. That when we put our unrighteousness on him and he pays the price at the cross, he hands his righteousness back to us. And so when God the Father looks at us, he no longer sees our sin and our shame. He sees the righteousness of his own son. And the sin that keeps us out of relationship with God is removed and we can step back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's incredibly good news. If Jesus were merely a good man, as some people claim, he would have no power to take our sins whatsoever and his death would have absolutely no effect on us. But John's Gospel starts with this foundational truth that Jesus is God. The second thing I want to bring from this passage today, and this is truly extraordinary, is that God came to us. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what theologians call the incarnation, that God became flesh, God became human. And as a result, we have seen God's glory because he dwelt amongst us. Now, the word dwell in this passage is a very interesting word. John, the author of this gospel, could have used a number of different common words to describe Jesus dwelling or residing or living amongst us, but he chose to use a very different and unique word that the original readers would immediately connect with. 
The Greek word used for dwelling in this text is translated as tabernacled. The word Jesus tabernacled amongst us. For us, that's very uncommon. It's an unfamiliar word. We don't talk about or even connect with the idea of a tabernacle in the southeast of Melbourne in the year 2019. It's an old concept. But for them, it was a well-known and a current concept. You see, John's audience was very familiar with the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and so they knew this Greek word very well. In the Old Testament, there's a story with a famous biblical character called Moses. Moses had been chosen and equipped by God to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. God promised to lead them on that journey and that his presence would go with them and so he commanded them to build or construct a tabernacle. Now a tabernacle is kind of like a portable temple. And in that tabernacle, God's presence would dwell among them and one of the ways they'd recognise his presence is that a cloud would settle over the top of the tabernacle. And whenever that cloud lifted and started to move, it was a sign from God that they were to pack everything up and keep moving to the next place guided by God's presence. Now Moses was in a great relationship with God. And in Exodus chapter 33, it tells us that God was pleased with Moses and knew him by name. There was a sense of intimacy and relationship. But despite that, Moses wanted more of God. And maybe if you're a Christian here today, you can relate to this. You're in relationship with God, but, but you want more. You want to feel, you want to touch, you want to experience his presence, you want to know him in greater ways. Moses was like this. And in a moment of spiritual fervor, he cried out and he said, God, show me your glory. God's response was really interesting. He responds by telling Moses that he would pass in front of him, but Moses could not see his face because the glory of God would be too much for him and he would die. And so he says, Moses, when my glory passes by, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. No matter how close Moses or any other character in the Old Testament got to God, there was always a gap in the relationship. They could never fully see him. They could never see his face. That's what makes today's passage so extraordinary. In the second part of verse 14, it says, we have seen his glory. Moses couldn't see his glory. The Old Testament figures couldn't see his glory. But John is saying, in Jesus, the glory of God has been fully revealed to us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Now, what does this all mean for us today? Well, it simply means that through Jesus, God has bridged the gap between us and him. And in the person of Jesus, we can see his face and his glory has been revealed. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know who God is and what he's like, his glory has been fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we can be in relationship with God through Jesus the Son. And all this became possible because God chose to come to us. God who created the heavens and the earth. The all-powerful, almighty God. He left the safety, the perfection and the glory of heaven to enter his own fallen, broken creation, which we had destroyed through our sin. 
And so into the mess and into the brokenness, the divine word comes down to us. Let me tell you this morning, that is a huge step down. Tim Hughes says in his well-known song, Here I Am to Worship, in the very first line, he says, Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. In verse 4 of today's passage, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here is Jesus, the light of the world, the divine word, the creator of all things, God himself stepping down into the darkness to tabernacle amongst us and remind us that even in the mess, even in the confusion, his presence is with us and will guide us. But that is a huge step down. Huge. A number of years ago, I took a group of young adult leaders to Blair Gary Back Beach. Now, the back beach, there's a famous rock that is above a beautiful rock pool that you can jump off. It's about 10 metres high. And you can climb up this rock and you can jump off. On the way in the minibus, I said to the leaders that this is a test of their leadership. And if you want to remain on the leadership team, you're going to have to jump off this rock and conquer your fears. Don't think it was the ideal way to lead a team. In fact, halfway through the day, I had to uh, amend that condition because I was going to be left with a very small leadership team. Now, I jumped off this rock many times before, but not for several years. And I must admit, when I got to the top and I looked over the edge, it was a lot higher than what I remembered. (laughs) And I was looking over the edge, having second thoughts, thinking, am I going to jump or not? Because there's a real danger you can injure yourself. And as I was looking over the edge and as I was thinking about it, I heard this crazy girl behind me screaming. And as I turned around, it was one of the young adult leaders and she was running past me and she went, ah, and she jumped off the edge of this rock all the way down into the rock pool. I remember thinking to myself, great, not only am I the fearless leader still perched on the ledge, but now that she's jumped, I have no choice but to jump. But I was reminded it was a long way down. Tim Keller tells a story of a very famous crime that happened in 1964 in Kew Gardens in New York City. A 28-year-old woman named Kitty Genovese was going home to her apartment and she was assaulted on the street by an attacker. As the man started to attack her, she cried out, Help me! He's stabbing me! In the apartments above, lights went on. People looked out their windows. In the dead of night, she continued to scream, Help me, I'm being stabbed. He's trying to kill me. When the lights came on, the attacker fled the scene, but nobody who heard her cries for help came down. And so when nobody came down and the lights went off, the attacker returned to the wounded young woman and killed her. The question everyone asked was, why didn't anyone come down? One witness who was interviewed said that they didn't want to get involved. While another said, without emotion, I was tired, so I went back to bed. For these witnesses, it was too risky. To go down would mean that they would become too vulnerable. They were afraid to lose their life. It was a long way down from the safety of their warm apartment to the cold and dangerous street where an attacker was on the loose and the tragic result of their inaction 
was the loss of life for an innocent young woman. In the case of the Blair Gary Rock at the New York apartment building, it was a long way down. In the case of the apartment, no one was willing to risk their life for someone else. This is the incredible thing that we remember on Good Friday, that when the Word became flesh, God became vulnerable. Not only did God become vulnerable, he became killable. When the Lord of the universe came down, he came down not just at the risk of his life, he came down willingly, knowing full well that it would cost him his life. Unlike those people in the apartment, Jesus heard our cries. He saw that we were not only dying, but we were already dead in our sins. We didn't deserve his love, and yet in the midst of in the most extraordinary act of love the world has ever seen, he came down. He not only risked his life, but he voluntarily laid his life down for us. As I stood on that rock in Blair Gary, I was aware that it was a long way down. As the people in that apartment block heard those cries, they knew it was a long way down. But as Jesus looked down upon us from heaven, he knew that the step he needed to take was infinitely more. And so being fully aware of what it would cost, looking down on us in our helpless state, he considered all of that and he decided that it was worth it. And he came down. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no other religion. There is no other God who left the glory of heaven and at the cost of his own life came down for us. Jesus makes an extraordinary claim that he validates on Good Friday. He says that he is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him and it's only possible because he came down. Jesus is God and God came to us so that we can be reconciled to him through the sacrificial death of his son that brings us the forgiveness of sins. That's the incredible truth of Good Friday. John also reminds us that when he came down, Jesus came down with grace and truth. This is the third point today, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that's truth, shall not perish but have eternal life. We usually stop there, but verse 17 is just as important. It said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's grace. Amazing grace. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Notice here that he was full of grace and truth, not just a little bit of grace and partial truth, not just a a tiny little bit. Jesus didn't just have a a little bit of grace and, and a little bit of truth. No, it says that Jesus is full of grace and he is full of truth all the way up to the very brim. The Greek word for full in this passage is very interesting. And when you explore the meaning, it's quite rich. It means to be filled up, 
It means to be covered in every part. It means to be thoroughly permeated with, to be complete, lacking nothing. Jesus is perfect in grace and truth. And from the fullness of his grace, Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself to death on a cross. And in that death, he shed his blood and poured his life out for you and me. You know, so often in life, we carry the weight of our own sin and it's a crushing weight. We're often stuck in the mistakes of our past. We're crippled by regret and shame. We hold on to unforgiveness and hurt towards those who have wronged us. But the cross reminds us we don't have to do it anymore. Jesus said it is finished. We can bring those things to the foot of the cross and we can put them down knowing that we are forgiven. And in God's mind, those things are forgotten. It also reminds us that when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour of our lives, he not only forgives our sin, but he fills us with grace and truth. And so from Jesus, he pours his life out for us and he fills us with grace and truth, but not just to the point that we're full, but to the point that we will overflow to the world around us, that the grace and truth that he pours into our life will flow from us into the world as we go and share the gospel and as we love people in an extraordinary way. It's a love that comes from God and it overflows from him to us and from us to the world. He wants us to overflow with grace and truth. But maybe this morning you've never been filled. Maybe Jesus has never been accepted by you as your Lord and Saviour. Maybe you've never been filled up with his grace and truth. Well, Good Friday is a reminder to live in the grace of God, to accept his sacrifice for us on the cross and to accept him into our life as Lord and Saviour where he will fill us to overflowing so that his grace and truth flows from our life to the world around us. But maybe... You're here today and you've already been filled with his grace and truth. For those who've already accepted Jesus this morning, let's not forget what Jesus did on the cross by living in shame and regret of our past. Don't don't downplay the power of Jesus' sacrifice by continuing to carry the weight of your sin. Don't cheapen his forgiveness towards you by holding on to unforgiveness towards others. I want to encourage you this morning to bring it to the cross and leave it there. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together and ask the music team to come forward. And it's always a powerful time for us as a community. But on Good Friday, it's an opportunity to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice afresh and to also consider our own response in life. You'll see this morning there are communion tables on both sides And I want to encourage you to come down the two aisles and as per usual, partake of the juice and the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body broken and Jesus' blood shed for us. But it's also an opportunity to bring those things that you are struggling with to Jesus. The regret you may have, the sin you thought you'd conquered but it keeps coming back over and over again. Maybe it's the name of someone who you're holding on to, something against them that you just can't let go of. This morning you can bring that to the cross and I'd encourage you to leave it there.
to hold on to Jesus' words and truly believe what he said, that it is finished. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28 tells us to examine our own hearts before we partake of communion. And so this morning, don't rush this. I want to encourage you to take your time. If you're not, a, if you're not comfortable, you're not a follower of Jesus, feel free to stay in your seat. But for everyone else, let's take some time to reflect. We'll have this music playing. There'll be a team of people available over here to my left and your right. If you need prayer for any of these things, they'd love to pray for you. Once we've partaked in communion, we'll then finish our service in song. As we reflect this Good Friday, let's remember that Jesus is God. That in an incredible act of self-sacrifice, God came to us. And when he came, he came full of grace and truth. And it's only in Jesus that we can experience the greatest change of all. And it happens through a relationship with God, through the work of Jesus Christ, his son. I'm going to invite you to reflect on what Jesus has done for you this morning. And then when you feel ready, I'd invite you to come forward, partake of communion, reflect on all of this. And if you need prayer, the prayer team will be over to the left. As we prepare our hearts, let me just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a powerful day it is today. An awful day in many ways as we reflect on what happened to you. Lord, we are so grateful that you came down to us, not just at the risk of your life, but knowing it would cost you your life. It was a huge way down, but you came down. And Lord, we thank you with hearts full of gratitude this morning for the sacrifice you made on the cross, where you bore the weight of the sin of the world. You took our shame upon yourself and you offer us the opportunity to accept you as our Lord and Saviour, to have our sin forgiven and to have the hope of new life in you, both now and eternally. Today, as we reflect, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be something that we rush through, but I pray that it would affect us afresh today as we take this in, that we see it in new and glorious ways. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we honour you today in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.